praise the Lord, mightiest prophet of the Lord. Amen. Yes, please, my Lord, the mightiest prophet of the Lord. Okay, can you check for me the quality first before I get started? How is the quality? Because right now I put it loud and the phone is a little bit away from me. Should I should I remove it from loud and speak directly on the phone? Yes, please, my Lord, the mightiest prophet of the Lord. This one is a bit black, right? It's a, a bit blurred, please, my Lord. Okay, thank you. How, how about this? Is this better? Very, very clear, please, my Lord, the mightiest prophet of the Lord. Amen. So, beloved people, uh, what a wonderful blessing and opportunity to come to you again at this very, very important time in the history of the church, the time at which the Lord is preparing to take the church into the glorious kingdom of heaven. And as we have said, I have said over and over again, that if there was one thing that the life on the earth was meant for, in other words, if there was any reason for the short time that mankind has on the earth here, is that they may use the 70 years or 80 or even 90 the short time they have on the earth here to prepare for the glorious coming of the Messiah. In other words, to prepare for the kingdom of heaven. And I think that is a good investment for all those that the Lord has afflicted unto the earth here. Now, um, Tonight I want to talk to the senior bishops, the presiding bishops, the senior presiding bishops together with their overseers under their jurisdictions, the regional overseers, and the pastors under their dominions, so that this coming Sunday you may be able to deliver a message that will help the church that is in step with the current happening, the goings on in the church. And that message is the message of preparing the church for the glorious coming of the Messiah. And I think this is yet another very wonderful privilege and opportunity that the Lord has offered for the church. All the way from the church in Norway, all the way from Norway, Finland, to Australia, you have a great opportunity to the United States of America, South Africa, everywhere across the continent, Nigeria, all those that are able to tune in, there is a big opportunity here to be able to, in synchrony, prepare the church for the glorious coming of the Messiah. And uh, today's message is going to be on the glorious coming of the Messiah and the character of the Bride of Christ. I know at one point I'll move a little faster so you can write faster, but the identity of the Bride of Christ or the character of the Bride of Christ 
And today our case study is Enoch, the man that walked with God, or Enoch, the perfect example of the Bride of Christ. We are all too familiar with the scripture about Enoch. And in the just concluded conference, I read from the book of Genesis chapter 5, and I'm reading again Genesis 5. I'm reading from verse 21 to 24 of Genesis 5. And he says, and now I'm reading uh, King James, he says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years, and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah, three hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. Then he goes on to say, And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. Remember, this is King James. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Amplify says, as our reference scripture, Enoch, the case study, the perfect example for the church. When Enoch had lived 65, uh, this is amplified, again, it says, when Enoch was 65 years old, Methuselah was born. Enoch walked in habitual fellowship as a habit, as a routine in continuity, in consistency in other words Enoch walked in habitual fellowship with God after the birth of Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters so all the days of Enoch were 365 years and Amplified says in verse 24 that And Enoch walked in habitual fellowship with God, and he was not, and he was not. For God took him home with him. And then the quotation there is Hebrews chapter 5, verses, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 to verse 6. And I'm going to read that Hebrews chapter 11 as we begin this very, very long and extended sermon. Because in the conferences, I may not always have enough time to navigate with you and give you the message the way really I would want because sometimes we are under television broadcast. And we're trying to squeeze in everything to fit into the program of the TV broadcast. But now we can start this bit by bit until I'm able to deliver the entire message the Lord intended to deliver to the church. Now, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 verses 5 and 6 gives a very important insight also into Enoch's life. 
Hebrews 11, 5 and 6. This is what he says here. Amplified, King James. King James says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. So the first thing that you see being raised here by the Holy Spirit, when you read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, the first thing is that by faith, it begins right away to place into the center stage the faith of Enoch. So it says, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him, this is King James, for before his translation, he had this testimony. Testimony means the world saw him and that is what it projected to the world and the world was aware. And before he, the Lord translated him, he had this testimony. And he says, this testimony, that he pleased God. So that's very powerful. He is exalting the faith of Enoch. And he is saying that Enoch was known for his faith. And so, Enoch lived by faith and therefore did not see death. I'm just using this reference scripture, these reference scriptures, to be able to set myself up very well, the foundation, so I can be able to give you this sermon. And he's saying that when he looks at the life of Enoch, the Spirit of the Lord is saying he saw faith. That's what he exalts out of the life of Enoch from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. And he's saying that that faith was known. That faith could be seen by the world because he said he bore this testimony, meaning among the people he lived with. So that faith leads us to a second very important benchmark that Enoch set up with his life, or that the Lord used the life of Enoch to set, pleasing God. And now he's saying, he bore this testimony that he pleased God, meaning all the people that knew Enoch in his life at his time, they always knew that Enoch pleased God. It was vivid. And then let's get back to faith then. He's saying that the faith of Enoch was crystallizable. You could feel it, you could see it, you could behold it that the people that lived at his time, they could look at Enoch and see his face. And so, right away, as we begin the introduction of this message, you see that the Lord is speaking to the church, and he's saying that at one point, you remember when the Lord Jesus went into a house, and I'm not reading the scripture, and this house was in Capernaum. And there was so much stampede. I mean, the people heard that he was there. So a lot of people came that it was not possible to pass through the door. And some people 
crippled person down the roof on a stretcher. And the Bible says, and when he saw their faith, meaning their faith could be seen, meaning faith can be seen. The level of your faith can be seen that if you have faith and you are executing a life in faith, people out can feel your faith. The people in the days of Enoch could see the faith of Enoch. And so the question then comes out right away to the church. The question then becomes, the question that shoots out of this is, has today's church lived her life in such a way that faith can be seen by the world? Let me put it better. Has the present day church lived her life in such a way that the faithless world can literally see her face. We have such a wonderful opportunity here because we live in a world that is faithless. And so there's all the opportunity to now show them our faith in Christ Jesus the Lord. Verse 6 he says, so he raises two things. Enoch lived by faith. And Enoch pleased God. Those are two important benchmarks you need to handle. You need to get a hold of as we begin this sermon. And then he says, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Okay, I know the first part of this scripture we've already transcended. We've surpassed the first half of this scripture fasting. Because all of you know that the Lord is. So that, that part does not really apply right now. Because everybody I'm talking to now knows that the, the Lord God, He is God. And He is there. He's the creator of all men, the universe, the heavens. And everything. So he is God. So the church and the listeners of this program do not have any problem with that. But the next important thing that I want to pay attention to is the third benchmark that the Lord raises here in the life of Enoch. He says that he diligently sought God. So if there's anything you want to pick right away in our reference scriptures, of the book of Genesis chapter 5 verses 21 to 24 and Hebrews chapter 11 verses 5 to 6 it is now the characteristics of the life of Enoch which really is our case study today that is our study that's what we set out to study today we want to understand the characteristics of the life of Enoch that we can use Enoch to benchmark the church because Enoch, as you will see very shortly when I talk about the prophetic timeline, which I'll summarize in five minutes, you see that Enoch, owing to the way he executed his life before the Lord, he lived his life before the Lord, he did not see death. He essentially was taken up home, taken into heaven. And if you saw heaven, many times I always say, wow, if the Lord could only allow these people to see just one million of heaven, that I have seen, they would leave everything on the earth and prepare for heaven. 
They will trade off everything, all the deluding factors here, all the things that are engaging them and lulling them around the earth here, all the deceptions of this world. They would trust them and prepare for eternity. So, Enoch did not see death. He was no more and he was taken to heaven. He was taken home. So that's why we are using Enoch, who did not see death, to be able now to standardize the church. Because as you have seen in the just concluded conference, I say that if you look at the prophetic timeline of God that I've so taught across the entire earth, you have Adam, and Adam falls to sin. Is one in the book of Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 to 17 that this is the way to life. This is the way to the tree of life. But this other way to follow leads to death. This is the way to life, but this other way on the left here, this one leads to death. Don't follow this one. In other words, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but eat only from the delicious trees I've shown you here. And once you surpass, once you pass that first part of repentance, that first test of obedience, voluntary, willful obedience, then you will be like somebody who has birth reconfirmation, and then now take you now to eat the Holy Communion, or to eat from the tree of life. And then now you are baptized in Christ Jesus. Now you accept life eternal. So, Adam was told very clearly, follow this straight road in front of you here. This is the road that leads to life. This one going left, if you will follow it, it leads to death. So that was very clear and simple. But we all know too well now that Adam and Eve, they chose to go left, disobedience, and they followed another road. Having been lied to by the devil, that if you follow this other road too, you will not die. But unfortunately, then, if you go to mortuary today, you really see the evidence of the fact that the devil lied to mankind. Because you find death in mortuary, in hospitals, you find those who are about to die also, and the graves, the tombs, those are the testimonies that he lied to man. Because he told them, no, don't worry. If you follow this other road, also you will not die. But that lie, like I said in the conference, the tragedy is that that lie has perpetuated itself, has repeated over and over and over again. Why do I say so? Because let's take the church, born again, and the world. The people in the world, they always believe I've been lied to by the same lie, by the same serpent, the devil, that they can go on living their lives the way they do. Drinking. Doing Mary. Mary. Going into Mary. Eh? Apart from Mary. Mary. Hmm? Living the world in life immorality. And whatever they do. Living a life that is heedless of God, that does not apply does not see the relevance of God in their lives, and they always believe that they can continue doing so forever 
cannot die. And yet the church, the born again, we know too well that this is the only road that leads to eternity. So if you look at the first class of two, is the non-born again world and the church, unbelieving world and the church. So you see that the unbelieving world, they say, no, I don't want to believe the Lord. No, I'm not yet ready. No, I feel I'm okay. I don't hurt uh, uh, people. I just live my own life. The devil has lied to them that they can live that life and not die. And yet the Lord says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 16, if you follow this other road on the left, you'll for sure die. Now, let us go to the hierarchy, the second level, the second card of this conversation. Of Genesis 2 verse 16 to 17. If you enter the church today, You'll find globally the church is dead. Globally, I had to say the Archbishop of Australia, Dr. Amis, say the church is dead here. But the church is dead globally, even in Kenya here. A lot of churches, you find immorality is more or less accepted. The pastors also get involved in it. False prophets are doing, even you know this is a lie. They are doing their game in the church, false apostles, and they are living a life which is far removed from holiness. The church, I'm not talking about the body of Christ inside the house of the Lord. I have already compared the unbelieving world and the church. Now I have entered the church. Based on Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. And you find that in the church, we have one group, you would call them the foolish virgins, if you will, or whatever you call them, the apostate church. One group that thinks that they can live the way they want and throw out holiness and righteousness and just use the church as a club as a membership place for a sense of belonging or to clear their moral conscience or something, whatever it is, without articulating righteousness and holiness in their lives, and they still think that on that road they will not die. So now I'm inside the house. While for us now, you are well informed that without holiness, nobody will see the tree of life. Nobody will see eternity with God. Nobody will see heaven. Nobody will see the Lord. So the same lie only takes on a different form, but it's essentially the same lie inside the church. And that's why you see the church in the so-called ultra-modern countries, they have not cared they have mixed Christianity with the world and they don't see what is wrong with us. And that's why I'm saying Adam fell and then Enoch came into place and the Lord used Enoch to affirm, to reestablish the plan A that Adam was supposed to work. The first blueprint was supposed to work. 
Yes, it is true. Man can be trusted with worshiping Jehovah. That's what the Lord established. Because now Enoch beautifully walks with God and is raptured. And we saw that later on, Noah comes, judgment takes place. The Lord's ark now floating over the dead bodies and all this. And we have seen very clearly that that was the footprint of the Lord to speak about the times we are living in now. And so Enoch is raptured. And now we know the church is about to be raptured. The conversation, even after the conference in the Kuru, have intensified between the Lord and the two. And his two witnesses and his two messengers. It has even escalated after the Nakuru conference. It tells you very clearly that this generation has a real opportunity here. This becomes a generation that the Lord will take. And that's why you sit at a unique place. The church sits at a unique place where the rapture is about to take place. And that's why there's so much to learn from Enoch. Because Enoch lived during this time. And we're within the same phase. And that's why Enoch becomes a very important benchmark for the church, a very important standard, the perfect example to employ now, because he did not see death. And I say, Enoch represents the Christians who will be alive when the Messiah comes, and they will not see death. But Enoch also represents the Christians who will have died and been, been buried, the call are asleep in Christ, the Messiah come, they are taken up. Why? Why would I say such a controversial thing when Enoch did not see death? The reason I say so is that if you choose to live the life Enoch lived today, and even if the Messiah does not come tomorrow, and you die tomorrow, then when the Messiah comes, you have lost nothing. You will still be taken up the way Enoch was taken up. Hallelujah. So it doesn't hurt whether you die first or the Messiah comes first. It doesn't matter if you are living the life Enoch lived. And that's why today we are using Enoch for our benchmarking, for our standardizing of the church. And I say, beloved people, that among the things that we are going to celebrate today in this sermon that I'm beginning today about Enoch that as you begin to teach your churches that you will see the following you will see that the obedience that was lost in the garden was actually regained with Enoch now regained with Enoch and we saw that Enoch now Enoch presents your perfect example of the innocence restored. The innocence that was lost in the garden. Meaning guiltlessness. The guilt taken away. In other words, when the Messiah would come and the guiltlessness would be taken away on the cross, this is how the church should look look like. And I say, the life of Enoch, before we go very far, just to read through the following as you list them down, was characterized with obedience, number one. 
That is the type of worship that Enoch brought before the Lord. Before we enter the sermon, all this is just an introduction. But the life of Enoch was characterized by the following, number one, following features or characteristics that the church ought to emulate. Number one, obedience. Number two, consecration. His life was consecrated. Number three, was a sanctified life. Number four, morally upright. Number five, he was zealous for God. Because he saw that the three things, his faith, the pleasing of God, and the seeking of God, which we are going to see very shortly. The three main things he's done about. But I say it, essentially they translated into a zealous pursuit of God. And I say in the conference, which I say here today, we get to, never get to know. The Bible never tells us for how long Enoch sought God before he found God. All we know is that he lived for 65 years, after which the 300 years now he found God. He walked with God. Who believe that Enoch sought God for 65 good, clean years? Zealousness. Enoch was known for alertness. When you walk with God, you have to be alert. You cannot be complacent and careless and casual. Enoch was known for godliness. He said that godliness because he really walked with God. And we said, I, I say it, and I say today, it's coming at a very exciting time when right in your eyes you're seeing a man. You're seeing the two now. Literally walking with God in the public, in the eyes of this modern generation. How awesome. So it's possible. Enoch lived a life that was irreproachable. Another point, shunned evil. Another point, a life that was characterized with wisdom, the wisdom of God. Another point, reverence. Another, humility. Another, fear of God. Another, integrity of heart. Then, righteousness. Faithfulness. Compliance to the decrees of God. The word of God, the requirements of God. After compliance, submissiveness. Totally submissive. The opposite of Adam and Eve. Endurance. Because when you walk in the kind of walk Enoch walked, Enoch walked with God within the background, within a perverse generation, a wicked generation. So, most obviously, there was a lot of ridicule, mockery, slander, blackmail, abuse. Endurance. He's saying endurance was a characteristic he bore. Diligence, meaning care and precision. Dependable. Enoch was dependable to the extent that the Lord now trusted him. Trustworthiness is another. So these are just in a nutshell some of the big things about Enoch's life that today's church, in your pursuit for the kingdom of glory, these ought to be the, 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 the things ingrained in your Christian life. The fiber of your Christian walk. The metals that support the structure of your Christian walk, beloved people.
And that's why and in passing before I go now to introduce the NOQ, in passing I want to mention the following also. I want to mention that uh, in the book of Genesis chapter 3 verse 21 these, these are very important scriptures in the Bible because they talk about the moment at which the Lord extended his grace, a saving hand, a saving arm to the church, to fallen man, his own children. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3 verse 21, which I read again as our introduction today before we go to Enoch. So Genesis chapter 3 verse 21, hallelujah. Genesis chapter 3 verse 21. Genesis 3, 21. Uh, can you just spray the mosquito spray up above me here? Because I think there's a mosquito here. Yes. So, um, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Around up to all nuts of all the way up. Please, I'm on radio, I'm live. Back here at the back. Thank you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, beloved people. This is what he says. I'll start with King James. He says, Genesis 3.21. Okay. Um, Genesis chapter 3, when the Lord sacrificed the animal. Let me go to an ID first. Yes, NIV says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So it says there. And over here, amplified. And to Adam also to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothed them. So this is a very powerful scripture, beloved people. Because you see that Adam and Eve, they were attempting to use leaves to cover themselves. Then the Lord says, okay, it's all right, let me help them. So this is another moment within the prophetic timeline of the church when you can see the saving grace. You can see that the Lord became gracious to them. In fact, these are the characteristics of mercy. Why? Because they confess their sins. So this is normally, like I've said before, the moment at which you see the power of confession. Because they confess their sins. They say, no, the woman you gave me. And the woman said, this happened. They confess, they say, it is true we have sinned. And so, out of that confession, you see now grace and mercy. The Lord extending a saving hand to rescue them. And I say that in our introduction here, that was the first death. When he said in Genesis 2 verse 16 that if you do that, for sure you will die. And death had come into, into the equation now. Death had been factored in now because they had sinned. They had done exactly that which would attract death as penalty. But we see that that became the first animal. Why? Because I said at that time they were vegetarian. Mankind was vegetarian. So they had never even slaughtered an animal for food. So you can tell that this, they didn't even know how to slaughter an animal. You can tell that this animal was 
slaughtered by the Lord. But only the Lord could now teach them how to slaughter an animal. The eating of animals, that began after Noah. But I'm saying that it's so beautiful that the first death that came about as a result of disobedience, as a result of the fall, was such a death that symbolized the saving arm of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. And this was the foreshadow of the Messiah that would come and die for them to close the shame of men now, to redeem men from that fallen state. That was the first sacrifice. And I say that was essentially the institution of the sacrifice of blood. You can now see the sacrifice of blood being instituted. And you can see that it was a symbolism, that garment of the, the skin he used to cover them, like I say, was actually the symbol of the garment of righteousness that the Messiah would bring, that you see in Isaiah 51, verse 10, that the Messiah would bring the garment of righteousness that he would bring and clothe the church with. In Isaiah 61, verse 10. And he says, Isaiah 61, verse 10. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall joyfully, shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with a garment of salvation. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom clothes, as a bridegroom naked himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorned herself with her jewels. Very powerful. The garment that the Messiah would bring is simulated here. It is foreshadowed here. It, that skin that he used to cover men fallen men, shameful men, in shame, to redeem them, to cover their shame. It essentially symbolizes the first sanctification of the human nature, the fallen human nature. And it symbolizes the garment of salvation, the garment of righteousness, the Messiah of the British humanity for their redemption, beloved people. Then it says that this garment would essentially symbolize the preparation, the garment the Messiah would bring to prepare mankind for fellowship with God again, for heaven, for eternity. No wonder the same garment, beloved people, you now find it in the book of Revelation chapter 19, verse 8. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear, meaning in her nakedness. Finally, she was given fine linen, bright and clean to wear. Now she enters the wedding supper of the left God. Revelation chapter 19, verse 8. So these are some of the introductions, the introductory bits I wanted to bring to you, beloved people, before now we now major on today's message of Enoch, the standard for the church. Enoch, the lesson for the present church. Enoch, the perfect example of the bride of Christ. Hallelujah.
Jesus the people, I want to begin now this tremendous sermon on Enoch. And you know, this sermon on Enoch, the standard of the church. Enoch, the example of the church. The example the bride should follow. This comes within the context of the message that the Lord already lowered the glorious chairs I prophesied way back in the year 2017, January 15th, until those stairs appeared in the skies above the earth here, in the clouds, right above the earth. So you can see the context of the relevance, the relevance, the context of the relevance of this summer today uh, becomes so central in the eternity of the church. And I said, before we go to Enoch, again, still building on the sermon, I've not yet begun the sermon. And I said, that the reason this message of Enoch, the example Enoch portends to the church, is so critical this hour, is because, as you have been well told, Tribulation is near. And the great tribulation is near. And the main actors of the tribulation and the great tribulation are already on site. They are in the scene already. They have already hit the landscape. And so, it will be a matter of time that the dispensation of the tribulation and the great tribulation will befall the earth. And I'm saying that the relevance of the scripture and the study and, uh, and, and the message of Enoch is so key now, is so central in the life of the church. Why? Because as I have said, the church will not see the tribulation. That means the coming of the Messiah then has drawn nigh. Because if the actors of the tribulation and the great tribulation are already on site, then that can only tell you that if the church is not going to be a partaker of the great tribulation and tribulation, then for sure, definitely, her being snatched up has drawn nigh. Now, you see the importance of teaching the lesson of Enoch to the church today. Because then, in other words, when you see the actors, the principles, the main principles of the tribulation and the great tribulation, those that will now fight for the Lord God, fight for your way, if you see them already in the scene and you see the way they are operating, their operation is unbelievable. And I say, even after the conference, there's a big escalation going on. For those that I shared with earlier, that they can even pass through the wall. I was sharing with some of the bishops earlier before the conference that they, if, if you're walking on, on the floor of the first floor, that is the roof normally of the ground floor. But they normally can pass through the, the, the floor, which is the roof, to access the, you know, pass through the wall and so forth. But now you see the manifestation and the realization of those words I gave you. But if you see such actors in place now, 
It can only tell you that the dispensation for which they have come has drawn nigh. That's why they are taking a position. And that's why it becomes very relevant and very important for the church to understand that her being snatched away is now near. And hence the importance of teaching Enoch. And so I say, and that hinges on the fact that the church will not see the great tribulation. And the tribulation, why? Because he that holds it back. And I give the following example. I said the Genesis 5, 21, 24 itself is a prophecy the Lord placed on the timeline to tell the church that you will not see the tribulation and the great tribulation. I think that comes out very clearly. We are now justifying the importance for which Enoch must be told. The example of Enoch must be prophesied across the nations, across the church. That the church may not see death. That they may be taken up in Christ Jesus into the kingdom of the Messiah, the kingdom of glory, the kingdom of which God is heaven. And I say number two, the nature of the rapture of the church itself does not permit the church to see the dispensation for which these two messengers have arrived. I say the imminent nature of the rapture. If you look at Matthew 24, verses 36 to 42, the rapture is about the imminent. Nobody knows the hour, the day or the hour. Number two, Revelation chapter 16, verse 15. It talks about the imminent nature of the rapture, of the setting away, the gathering of the saints. Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 to 51. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 56. Matthew chapter 25, verse 13. Revelation chapter 3, verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10, Luke chapter 12 verses 35 to 40. All these scriptures fall under this very important factor that disqualifies the church from seeing the tribulation and the great tribulation. And hence, if the actors of the tribulation and the great tribulation are here, then for sure the church is about to be taken. Hence, the importance teaching the lesson of how Enoch walked with God and saw death no more. Did not see death anymore. So no death. He was no more. Because under this number two, the nature, the imminent nature of the snatching away of the church, of the rapture of the church, of the return of the Messiah, the Bible emphasizes watchful, be vigilant, be ready, be prepared. Again, the words the Bible uses are be watchful, be vigilant, be ready, be prepared. Meaning, it is sudden. If it will happen, it will be sudden. It will be abrupt, unexpected. People will be unaware when it comes. So in using these kinds of terminology and words, you can see that surely the church cannot see the tribulation and the great tribulation. Why? Because when you enter into the realm of the tribulation and the great tribulation, the events there are set up by time. You can literally count seven years from the onset of the tribulation and the Messiah comes to Jerusalem. 
the truth is, it's important to prepare the church because the Messiah cometh at an hour she least expects. And the church, and yet the church, will not see the tribulation of the great tribulation. And I say Isaiah's prophecy that we saw in the book of Isaiah 26, verses 19, that God uses that to promise the church that enter your room and shut the doors behind you for a little while. See, the Lord is coming to his dwelling to punish the people of the earth. He talks about the great tribulation. The tribulation and the great tribulation. That promise alone of Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecy, the Lord promises to hide the church. So surely the church will not see the tribulation and will not see the great tribulation. And hence, need to understand that if the actors of the tribulation and the great tribulation are already here, then very soon the church will be taken and therefore the teaching of the life of Enoch is really central to the church now. And I also say that God made some promises to the church. <coughs> the Lord God made some promises to the church of Christ. That she would never face the wrath of the great tribulation, beloved people. That is number four. One of the disqualifying factors in number, is number four. It says the promises of God to the church. We have just seen Isaiah's prophecy. We started with the Genesis chapter 5 verses 21 to 24 prophecy that Enoch gives the church. Meaning the church that lives in the life of Enoch will not see death will be raptured. And then we went on, beloved people, to number two, which was the nature of the rapture itself. Means she cannot enter, the church cannot enter the tribulation, the great tribulation, because over there, events are ordered on time. You can literally count and know when which event will take place. And that is not, that, that's not, it doesn't look like it would apply. The Bible would then tell you to be careful, be alert, be watchful. Because it's coming abrupt, unexpected. When you enter the tribulation, great tribulation events are ordered there. And I say the third one, which disqualifies the church from entering the tribulation, the great tribulation, is Isaiah's prophecy, where God promises, enter your room, the room you see in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. I go to the Father's house, prepare a place for you. With my Father's house, there are many rooms. Enter your room, shut the doors behind you for a little while. See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people. So that's the great tribulation, beloved people. And Isaiah's prophecy promises that God would hide the church in heaven, in the safety of heaven before they come back. And I said number four that disqualifies the church before we discuss the life of Enoch. I'm just building a foundation around this. Because I realized that television time was not enough to teach in the conference all this length and breadth and depth. Number four, God promises the church. John chapter 14, 1 to 3, I'll come and take you. First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 4 to 10. Romans chapter 5 verse 9. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 10, all those scriptures talk about God's promises to the church. He promises that she will not face the wrath, the wrath of the great tribulation. 
And that means if the actors of the tribulation and the great tribulation are already on scene, on site, they are already in place, then that can only tell you that the removing of the church is about to take place. And I said, number five, Daniel's prophecy. Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks does not mention the church. And I say in Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 to 27, and we read, and we saw that the last week, that last week he divides into two. And you see that half of it now become your three and a half years of the great tribulation. And you see in that prophecy of Daniel, when Daniel saw the great tribulation, Daniel essentially saw God's people Israel. The city of God, Jerusalem, and the redemption of God's people, but Daniel did not see the church there. He does not mention the church at all. That's number five. Number six, I say the removal of the Holy Spirit from the sin. The removal of the Holy Spirit. We know too well in John chapter 14, which I'm reading here, beloved people. John chapter 14, today I can read because I have time. Talk for you to have time. And also whatever you are saying, yes we do. And much time. John chapter 14 from verse 15 to 18. And I'm reading, let me read. Yes, I can read as many versions. King James, he says, If ye love me, keep my commandment. And I'll pray the Father, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it fears him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit. If you look at the subtitle, they say the promise of the Spirit. But if you read from Amplified, from verse 15, he says, If you really love me, you will keep, again, if you really love me, you keep and obey my commandment. He says, My commandment is my commandment. Okay, my commandment. And I will, again, it's yes, very good. He says again, if you really love me, you will obey my commandment. Verse 16 says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, Sentinel and stand by that he may 
remain with you forever. He said, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, cannot welcome, cannot take to its heart because it does not see him or know or recognize him. But you know and recognize him for he lives with you constantly and will be in you. I will not leave you often, comfortless, desolate, bereaved, forlorn, helpless. I will come back to you. So this is very powerful. So what is the point I'm trying to make here? I'm saying, if you look at the sixth most important aspect that disqualifies the church from partaking of the tribulation and the great tribulation, is the fact that the Holy Spirit will be removed from the sin during the tribulation and the great tribulation. And point number one within that that aspect of the removal of the Holy Spirit is John chapter 14, 15 to 18, which says that the Holy Spirit of God was sent specifically to the church. So, if the Holy Spirit is the one that is holding back the revelation of the person of the Antichrist, as you can tell, those that come to fight them and neutralize them already on sight. So it only follows that very soon the Antichrist will be revealed. And he's saying here that the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15 to 18 was sent specifically to the church. If the church is taken away, okay, look at this now. The Holy Spirit does actually define the dispensation of the church, of the grace. And if the Holy Spirit is taken away, and the person of the Antichrist is revealed, then surely it follows that the church is not on sin. The church is not on the earth then. Because the Holy Spirit was only sent to the church. To prepare the church and present her. That means the church will have been presented. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18 to 20, the church is the holy habitation of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 15 to 18, the Holy Spirit was only sent to the church. So you take away the Holy Spirit, it only follows that the church has been prepared and she has been taken away. But in 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20, the church is the only holy habitation of the Holy Spirit. Meaning you remove the church, then the Holy Spirit has also been removed. That's why this title of number 6 says, the removal of the Holy Spirit. It happens before, the, right at the onset of the tribulation, the great tribulation. So the church cannot be found in the tribulation, in the great tribulation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 to 22. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. These are beautiful scriptures, beloved people. I could read them, but we don't have much time because I want to begin on Enoch. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. The removal of the Holy Spirit revealed the main actor of the tribulation and the great tribulation. His name is the Antichrist and the false prophet. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. The holy habitation of the Holy Spirit is withdrawn at rapture. And so the Holy Spirit leaves the sin, leaves the earth. And I've told you that the Holy Spirit then becomes a sign to he that speaks with you, the true messengers of the Lord. That means the church does not see the tribulation and the great tribulation. Point number seven, that disqualifies the church from seeing the tribulation and the great tribulation, therefore making an inference, a conclusion to the church today, that given that the actors of the tribulation and the great tribulation are already here taking position, the operation that began as you saw in Akuru, in a tremendous way, under the direct instruction from heaven of the throne of God, with tremendous unspeakable power, under the direct instruction of God the Father Himself, at the direct command of God the Father Himself, as you saw in Akuru. And therefore, telling you that it's time out for the church. And therefore, the important teaching enough to the church that she too may not see this. That seventh factor that qualifies to you that surely the church sees not the tribulation. Therefore, you should prepare by learning from the lesson of Enoch is the fact that the church dispensation of the grace ends at rapture. Hallelujah. I say Christ Jesus gave birth to the church on the cross. And we saw in John chapter 19 verse 34 that they pierced his side and blood and water came out. And in the book of First John, again I said John chapter 19 verse 34. And the book of First John chapter 5 verse 5, he then comes out and says that the church was burst out. This is he that, he that came to you by blood and water. And we see that at that passing out of, of the church, then the Holy Spirit comes. And Peter gives such an astounding inaugural speech upon the first birth, the Pentecost of the church. Then the church is born when the Holy Spirit arrives. And then the Holy Spirit now, remember the flow of blood on the cross, and then first John chapter 5, verse 5, and then now the Holy Spirit comes, Peter gives the main speech, a keynote speech. When the church is burst out, then the church is born upon the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And I say that the water represents the baptism, and the blood represents the Lord's Supper, which symbolizes the suffering and the death of the Christ to part of the church. 
And the sanctification by water is completed now, if you read Romans chapter 6, verse 1 on, by the justification by the blood. And I say that the blood and the grace, they surely for today, they define the grace of our Lord Jesus. The blood and the water, they define the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. So this is very important, this point here, because it's saying the church age comes to an end, so the church had rather prepared to be taken away. She had rather lived like Enoch lived and was taken away. Why? Because after the age of the church, I taught it so well to you, when I say now the Lord will be very busy with the deliverance of Israel, with the redemption of God's covenant people Israel. And number eight, I say, just the doctrine of the tribulation itself, the narrative of tribulation, the definition of tribulation itself, the specification of the dispensation of the tribulation itself, disqualifies the church from seeing the tribulation. Why? Because I say that if you read, for example, Revelation chapter 8, verses 7 to 9, and the book of Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 to 17, the events that characterize the tribulation and the great tribulation. I say those events don't seem anywhere close to the dispensation of the grace. Unless, I mean, how would you hide it then? Unless you would say that when the church comes, she would live through the dispensation of the grace and the second phase of her life would be the dispensation of the great tribulation. Then you would have to define it in defining the church age. And that's why I say the tribulation is a very grave, very serious and a grave, grave for tombs, and a grave dispensation with a series of grave events that cannot describe in any way the dispensation of the grace. Why? Because I say that season results into the death of the majority, the largest death of the earth, on the earth. It results in the, into the death of most of the population of the earth. Large number of the population of the earth. Probably 1.6 billion or 1.7 billion. And he that seeks their part of that operation that leads to unbelievable death. Unbelievable death for the earth. So he knows a little bit more that he's not saying here. But I said also that sin and apostasy will climb up and there will be some unprecedented, unbelievable, unfathomable levels of blasphemy. Sin, apostasy, and blasphemy. It's a distinctive time. The great tribulation is a distinctive time that the church cannot live through. Otherwise, it would have been characterized in defining our dispensation of grace. But that does not sound like the dispensation of grace. And I say postmodernism, modernism, advanced economy, development, civilization, technology, all will be brought down by he that speaks with you today. So that again does not even seem like the time of the grace. 
And that's why it's important to understand that if the actors that are involved in the tribulation, in the great tribulation, have now come into the scene, into the site, into the world theater, the theater of operation, then definitely it means that the church is about to be taken away to be hidden into the safety of heaven. And therefore they need to prepare like end of what? I am justifying to you, beloved people, why I should teach you the lesson of the life of Enoch as the example to the church, the bride of Christ, that sees eternity. Daniel chapter 1, chapter 12, verse 1, talks of unbelievable suffering as has not happened from before until then. Daniel chapter 1, tremendous, tremendous. Chapter 12, brother, verse 1. Like since the beginning of the nations, he says. Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 25. All these describe the great tribulation. So you, there's no way you can picture the church in there. The book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 14, 15. You know, Jude is only one chapter. Zechariah, chapter 1, verse 5. All these describe the unbelievable destruction of technology, civilization, development, modernism, economy, advanced medicine, whatever, advancement. They describe a grave, grave for tombs, a grave time that do not seem, does not seem anywhere close to the dispensation of the grave. And so if the actors of that scene, if the generals that fight in that, in that theater have arrived, it can only tell you that the church is about to be snatched up into the safety of heaven. Another thing that disqualifies the church from entering the dispensation of the great tribulation is the number is now number nine, the fact that the church returns with Jesus, returns with the Messiah at the end of the great tribulation. That means she must have been taken away. Revelation chapter nineteen, verses eleven to verse fourteen. The finest linen, bright and clean that he that speaks with you is preparing right now world over in the church for the bride is the same finest linen bright and clean you see them coming with in Revelation 19 verse 14 so when you see the church coming back at the end of the great tribulation it can only tell you that she was taken away Father justifying the reason why I should talk to you and minister to you about this hour that the tribulation is there. The actors are already on the ground. And that means very soon the church will be taken away so that she can come back with the Messiah at the end of the great tribulation. And the more the importance of learning the lesson of the life of Enoch today that I'm going to introduce and lead you through this time. And all this is just an introduction, beloved people. Number 10, the grand butchering and slaughtering of Christians, of those who are saved, who are Christians, during the Great Tribulation, does not in any way reflect to you the dispensation of grace. The grand slaughter. If you look at Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 17, in fact, Galatians, Revelation chapter 12, brother, verse 17 itself is the mass slaughter. Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 to 18, the mass slaughter. They were given power to fight and conquer and overcome and conquer all the saints 
who believe in Christ and slaughter them. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Daniel chapter 11, 33. They are not consistent with the dispensation of the grace. The mass slaughter of the Christian is not consistent with the great tribulation, with the dispensation of grace. It is only consistent with the great tribulation. Again, the grand butchering and slaughtering of Christians and beheading, specifically beheading of Christians that you see in the great tribulation, disqualifies the presence of the church. That's why I gave you Revelation 12, 1 to 17. Revelation, in fact, verse 17 itself. Revelation 13, 1 to 18. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 to 11. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Daniel 11, 33. Where there is going to be literally beheading of anybody that proclaims Jesus. That is not consistent with the promises of God to the church. The promises we saw in Isaiah 26. The promises we saw in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 10, chapter 5 on, verse 1 on. This grand slaughter cannot be the dispensation of the grace. It is not consistent with the dispensation of the grace. And that tells you the church is not in the scene. That's why you can fill in for yourself that that is the Christians that don't make it now. They don't enter through the rapture. And then it's unbelievable, they must be literally beheaded. And I finish by saying that the tribulation and the great tribulation, biblically, it is known as Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah calls it Jacob's trouble, meaning he consigns it and assigns it to Israel. Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Revelation chapter 6, 17. Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, the wings they have. Revelation chapter 12, verse 14. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. That is the scripture. He calls it Jacob's trouble. So surely it's not for the church. And hence, I have now set a very good foundation, beloved people. We'll take a quick, short break with the worship song that says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I would like to walk through those streets. How awesome I wish you would see and know one day. You would give up everything for that beautiful new city of Jerusalem. And then when I come back now, I'll talk about Enoch Rapture, lessons unto the church. May the Lord bless you as we take a short 10 minutes break. Shalom. Oh 
Listeners at exactly 9.15 p.m. East African time For the men of God The mightiest Mightiest prophet of the Lord Yahweh The two dreadful witnesses Of Revelation 11 The two Only trees that stand before the Lord of all the earth Will be back live on air And if that is just the introduction then beloved people, sit back and wait for the message of the Lord. If that is just the instruction, then how powerful, how serious.